Welcome back to It's Haunted, What Now? I'm your host, Sammy, stepping in for Lainey while she's out on maternity leave. I host the It's Frightful podcast that's all about paranormal experiences, much like the ones you hear on It's Haunted, as well as creepy encounters with not-so-nice people, and much, much more. And I'm so excited to be sharing these stories with you all. Spring has officially sprung, and with the warm weather on the way, that means a lot more sunlight and energy for all of us. And what that means for us over at It's Haunted is that we've got even more drive to bring you some creepy stories to curl up with at night. We've got some good ones today for you to sink your teeth into, and I'm excited to get started. Okay, ready to get spooked? Our first story comes from Miss Purdy, who tells us of their strange experience with their household plumbing that is both less and more chilling than you might expect. The water heater or just an element of it in the house, supposedly broke last week. And according to my parents, the shower would turn cold after about five minutes. Now, I absolutely hate the cold. I only take cool showers when I absolutely have to because it helps my hair more than the hot or warm water does. Because of this, I avoided the shower for a few days. Eventually, though, my hair started to feel absolutely terrible, so I decided to suck it up and take a cold shower. Only, the water stayed hot the whole time, more than five minutes for sure. I know this because I had music playing so I could keep better track of time. My shower took about ten minutes, because of how long I needed to keep the conditioner in my hair, and not once did it even show a sign of trying to turn cold. In fact, I'd even go as far to say that it was a little too hot. I didn't think anything of it, figuring that my dad had probably fixed it earlier. That is, I thought that until I got out of the shower. You see, when I left the bathroom, it sounded like someone was still walking in the bathroom itself. Instead of just hearing my own feet on the hardwood floor of my living room, I also heard feet behind me on the tile of the bathroom. I turned around and saw a blue, humanist-shaped mist walking away from the shower and towards the door, where it turned into an orb and disappeared. At first, I didn't think anything of it, even with all the strange stuff that had gone on in my house before. Later that day, though, my parents also showered and reported the same thing. The water stayed hot the whole time, around 20 minutes at a time. When my mom came out of the bedroom, she quipped, Demon magic. And I remembered the figure I had seen after my shower. Now, I'm very much into the supernatural. At least, 
I think that's the best way to explain it. I've been possessed before, and I now believe that, somehow, I'm under the protection of whatever is in my house, and that it has taken a liking to me. When I told my friend about this experience, she suggested that this entity knew I was dreading a cold shower and decided to keep me warm. There's also the fact that I had the door wide open while showering in order to keep an ear out for my dog since it was just her and I in the house at the time and sometimes she likes to get into trouble. Since the door was open, the steam wouldn't have had a chance to gather in the bathroom. The blue mist couldn't have been steam. Right now, the water is still warm when taking a shower for a long period of time. Yet, the water pressure is basically non-existent. My dad admitted that it was his fault from when he was screwing around with the pipes, before he knew of my experience. My dad now believes that he knows what's wrong with it though, and is currently trying to fix this as I type. My mom and I believe that my entity had something to do with the sudden hot water, though my dad is indifferent. With everything else in my house though, I'm certain that it had to be my entity giving me, and by extension my family, a helping hand. You know, reading over this story now, I think I could pretty happily admit that this is a strange experience that I wouldn't mind having in my house. My hot water always seems to run out long before I'm ready to get out of the shower. Do you think you could loan your entity to me for a little while? Just for a few days? Let me know, okay? Our next story comes from Odewise, who tells us about a dark night in the desert that took a terrifying turn. I grew up in a small tourist town in the California desert called Joshua Tree. It's home of the Joshua Tree National Park, though those of us who are older call it the monument, since that's what it was before it was a national park. I was in my early 20s at the time of these events, approximately 15 years ago, and at the time I was the only one with a car and a license. Growing up in a small desert town leaves you with limited options for fun, so we would make use of the park. Occasionally, maybe once a week or so, a group of us would pile into the station wagon with beer, smokes, and a mixtape, and drive through the park late at night. It was usually an empty road, dark and quiet. Hours would pass as we drove the long, desolate road and stopped at various rocks that we liked to climb. I can't overstate how desolate it was, how alone, how isolating. No cars, no lights either, except the occasional unmanned road work sign, standing lonely on its own when sometimes warranted. Hell, that's exactly what we thought it was. This trip started like every other, except maybe there were more of us than usual. 
Crammed into that car, we had the windows down as I chain-smoked, and we were driving a good 20 miles over the speed limit, gravel spitting up as we went, having a good time. Shortly into the trip, I saw a light, a blue light. It looked like it was miles and miles ahead of us. That's the thing about this particular pitch dark. Light is free to shine for miles. I remember saying something about having to slow down at some point ahead. There must be some road construction ahead. It had to be a sign up there because the light hadn't moved. We continued for a few miles to one of our favorite stops and got out. We climbed for a while, maybe 45 minutes or so, drank a little, joked around, the norm. Then we piled back into the car and continued along. Let me be clear, the light never moved. At this point, we had already been about an hour into our adventure. Why would the sign have a blue light? As we approached the light, I started to slow more and more as we approached the source. It wasn't a sign. It wasn't a car. It wasn't a UFO. Standing on the side of the road, unmoving and facing towards us for what had been over an hour, was a man. He was white and pale, with a white beard, dressed in dirty old miner's clothing, complete with an old mining helmet and a pickaxe. Period appropriate for a time long before the park was anything other than a desert with some lonely mines. He wasn't translucent, but the phrase white as a ghost applied to everything about him aside from his clothes, his pickaxe, and that light. It gave off a bright and unnatural blue light. His expression was blank, but he stared directly at all of us. We sped up, and as we drove by him at a faster clip, his head turned to keep pace with us as we left. His light was visible, unmoving once more, and facing us the entire trip out, it never flickered or moved. I remember looking at the car clock shortly after passing him. It was damn near exactly 1 a.m. when we passed. We never saw a car, or hell, a horse, or any way for the sickly pale old miner to get into the park, nor a reason for him to be there. Any means of transportation would have been visible, or at least nearby. Worst of all, we estimated that this miner had to have been standing there, facing us, for at least an hour and a half, never moving. The eeriest part, by far, was how still he had been that whole time, waiting, perhaps, to see us. Not once did that light flicker to indicate that he ever looked down for a moment or turned his head. He just stood there, staring down a road at a car as it approached him. Even while we were parked, with our headlights off and climbing some rocks and having a few drinks, he was there, staring, from miles away, out into the darkness in our direction. We never saw him again. However, a few years ago, I decided to check to see if anyone had the same experience. I found one other story of a couple that saw him near where we did 
he was standing still there, staring, late at night. I found another story as well, of people camping out in the dark, away from standard camps, who saw the silhouette of what could have been a miner walking close by them. Looking back, I wish we had stopped. Even if it would have been the most horrifying thing ever, I wish we had stopped. Because I honestly believe there was a ghost of a dead miner out in that park, and I would be able to know that for sure today. There have been plenty of unexplained things in my life, but the face of that miner still sits fresh in my mind to this day. If anyone ever wants to test their luck, both on seeing the miner and seeing what he may be doing, Take a trip through the Joshua Tree National Park in Southern California late at night or very early in the morning. You will probably be alone on that road without cell reception, so be smarter than us. And don't take the risk we did. Make sure to slow down as you approach the turn for Key's view, which is where we saw him. Look for a blue, ghostly light during your trip. You know, when I think about spirits who appear like this one did, in the clothing from their job, I have to wonder, does this apply to everyone once they die? Are there ghosts wandering around in their pajamas because they were work from home office types? Something to think about. Would that be as creepy, do we think? Our next story comes from Stroh's O, who also has a story to tell about a night outdoors and the type of entities that might be waiting for us out there in the dark. Folklore stories and myths all circle around in the Philippines, where I live. A lot of brave youngsters travel far and wide and see nothing true about these horrors. Yet my ears, eyes, and nose could not say the same. A few decades ago, when I was younger, we lived in a small city on an island. It had people and it had myths, but at that time, it had truth. We were kids, playing, running, chasing, all that from sunrise to sunset. It was like a dream. Or rather, it wasn't a dream, and we couldn't stay out until sunset. You see, there were good reasons why parents would hit you with a stick when you came home after it became dark. In fact, it was the least of your worries, if you came home at all. While playing a game of hide-and-seek with my friends, we dared each other to play past sunset. Bad idea. At first, it was fun. Five boys all playing hide and seek. It was great. It was going well. Until one of our friends came running up to us, explaining that he needed to go home. He ran off, praying the whole way. It didn't bother us much, as we were just assuming he was praying not to get whipped by his mom when he got home. No, he was praying because he saw that. We froze when we spotted it staring in disbelief. I whispered to my friends, 
pinch me if you see what I'm seeing, and felt three pinches on my skin, one from each of them. We could all see it, a man, or rather, a shadow of a man. A dark entity with white eyes, on a jackfruit tree staring at us. His white eyes felt as though they looked right into our souls. And his face? We don't know. I don't know. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. We all just stared at that thing before slowly backing away and running home. Whatever we saw, whatever it was, I still don't know. I don't want to know. If it wanted to kill us, or eat us, or drag us into another realm, I don't want to know. All I remember are those two white, soulless eyes staring at us while sitting on a jackfruit tree. If someone hasn't said it already, let me be the first to say that I'm glad you got out of there. You can bet that if it were me, I'd bail without taking a single second look back, not taking any risks of something with that terrifying description catching up. Our next story is from someone who goes by Almost Unbelievable Paranormal Podcast. They bring us a story that has a bit of a beat, and it's one that they didn't ask for. When I was seven and my sister was six, either on the weekends or after school, my dad would normally still be working, and my mom would have to leave us alone while she went to do some errands or pop next door. Back then, in 1982, it was common practice to simply leave your doors unlocked. One day, my sister and I heard the beat of drums, dull, rhythmic. It never sped up, never got louder. It was merely a dull beat emanating from our parents' bedroom directly above where we were sitting on the couch. We were both perplexed and a little bit scared to be honest. So we sat there until our mother returned home. This started to be a regular thing. The moment mom left the house, the drum started without fail every day and always always the same droning noise. After about three weeks of this, I told my sister that I was going to investigate. I left the living room with my sister following behind, and as I approached, the noise of the drums got louder and slightly quicker. With each step I took on the staircase, the noise grew louder and louder. When I got to the landing that would properly lead up to the second floor, the noise was so loud I needed to crouch a little, hands pressed over my ears. I could feel the beat pulsing through every part of my body, every fiber in me vibrating with the noise of the drums. I began to climb the final set of stairs and could see down the hallway towards my parents' bedroom. The door wasn't just vibrating. It was bellowing with each beat of the drum. 
I watched as the door buckled out and then back in sync with the noise. As I looked, my own body was starting to feel crushed with the power, and I struggled to breathe. I watched for no more than five seconds and went to take one more step, but the power of the drums was too much, too intense, and I abandoned the attempt, turning back and running back down the stairs. My sister, who had waited at the bottom of the stairs, ran with me back into the living room and we closed the door. We hugged each other on the couch, curling into little balls together. We sat there terrified for what seemed like hours as the beat of the drums continued heavy and ominous above us. We heard the key slide into the front door and the drums immediately stopped. As terrified as we were, our mother noticed when she came into the house and asked us what on earth was wrong. We gave her the whole story and she took us up the road to our nan's house where our uncle Clifton lived. She told them what had happened and explained about an object that our father had brought home a few weeks ago. She described it and my uncle said that he wanted it and would take it away for us. We walked back and I went upstairs with my mom and Clifton and for the first and only time, I saw what had been causing the noise. It was a totem pole, black wood, about three feet tall, with four faces carved on it, the colors of which I can still recall to this day. I was terrified of it, even though as an adult, I can look back and recognize the beauty of the art. Beautiful and terrifying both, I felt the evil in it. Whatever it was, this was from the deepest dark you could imagine. My uncle left with it there and then. The drum noise which had haunted my sister and I never returned, and we were both incredibly happy about that. Two weeks later, Clifton and his best friend were driving home when they had a fatal car accident, which killed both of them. I do not know what happened to the totem pole after that. He and his friend were just 24. I have no doubt whatsoever that the drums were linked to the object. We didn't even know this thing existed, and the drums stopped when it was removed from the house. My sister and I would sit quietly every day as this drum would beat away, and we would be praying for the key in the door. Whoever got that object after Clifton, I hope they burned it or chopped it up. Some artifacts just don't deserve to exist. A heavy, slow drumbeat absolutely has the power to rattle you right down to your core. When it's done well, it feels like it's rattling your whole body. An object creating that sound on its own without anyone around to play it, that's truly chilling to think about. I'm very glad it's out of your house, and I'm very sorry to hear about your Uncle Clifton and his friend. Our next story is from Darren from Korea. 
They've also got an entity with an unexplained source. Though this time, at least, we can put something closer to a face to it. I'd been staying in an office space that was converted into an apartment. The place was quite spacious, with windows that filled two-thirds of the wall. Across the street was a small studio apartment building with its windows facing my room. So I installed window blinds on every window as soon as I moved in and kept the blinds down at all times. I got the room cheap because the landlord was a shaman. In Korea, people considered shamans to be unclean and avoid living near them. Therefore, wherever shamans live, rent in the neighborhood drops considerably. Good news to people like me, who are not that superstitious. Personally, I found my landlord to be quite personable. He was about my father's age, soft-spoken, considerate, and well-mannered. Sure, sometimes I could faintly hear him chanting in the middle of the night when his patron spirit possessed him, or at least that's what he sheepishly confessed when I probed about it. But frankly, I didn't mind it at all. The rent was unbelievably cheap, and hey, everyone's a little weird, right? One night, I was woken suddenly from a deep sleep. One moment, I was in a dreamless coma, then next... I was staring at a pair of very small, very white feet peeking out of an ankle-length black skirt hemmed with a decorative white lace. The transition from unconsciousness to wakefulness was so abrupt that it took me a moment to process what my eyes were seeing. After staring dumbly at those feet for a while, I suddenly thought to myself, I'm living alone. So why am I seeing feet other than mine? Mine are large and hairy. Feet don't usually hang in the air. So why are they doing that? I started to feel panic slowly rising from the depth of my soul. I wanted to find out who these feet belonged to. Slowly, I lifted my eyes. Then I saw the girl. She was facing away from me, towards the window which was wide open and letting in the moonlight that was flooding the room. Never in my life have I ever seen such a bright moon. The illumination was so beautiful that it looked almost supernatural. The girl was hovering in the air, head lifted toward the moon, basking in the streaming light and gently swaying in a breeze that I could not feel. Her head was a bit too small to be human, and she wore her hair down with a braid. She was of a slight build and was wearing some kind of black dress with white laces at the hem. And as I noticed before, she was barefoot. While I was taken in all of these little details, my brain was desperately trying to convince myself that what I was seeing wasn't real. I failed. I tried to sit up and found out that I couldn't move my limbs at all. That terrified me. I screamed, but all that came out was a muffled whimper because my tongue and lips were paralyzed too. Unfortunately, 
That was enough to get the hovering girl's attention. When the sound somehow escaped from my closed mouth, she started, and then in one smooth movement, she spun in the air to face me. She had a very small, delicate nose, and lips that were too small to be human. And her eyes? I simply could not see them. The upper part of her face was shrouded by such deep shadow that I couldn't make anything out of it. Despite that, I could somehow read her expression. She seemed alarmed and confused. She glided across the room to investigate the bed I was lying on, and then she lowered her head as if she wanted to examine my face. The black abyss that was the upper part of her face was inches away from mine. The terror was just too much for me. With all of the strength I could muster, I kicked. It broke the paralysis and my foot flew up, but she practically blinked away from my kick with a horrified expression. And then my eyes fluttered open and she vanished. I thought I was awake when I first saw the ghost girl's feet, but it turned out that this whole time my eyes were actually closed. However, the room looked exactly the same as the dream. The window was completely open, the window blind was rolled up, and the supernatural moonlight was still streaming down into my room. The thing is, I never ever opened the window, let alone roll up the blinds, because of the building across the street. To this day, I still think about what happened that night from time to time. It could very well have been a vivid dream, but that doesn't explain the open window and rolled up blinds. Sure, it's entirely possible that I somehow sleepwalked to the windows and opened them without my brain remembering it. But to me, that's even more disturbing than believing in the hovering girl's existence. You know, sometimes I read these stories and think about how calm everyone comes off when they're telling them. Meanwhile, I would still be shaking all over, just reliving something like this. I can never tell what's scarier, wide eyes that don't blink, or no eyes to see at all. You guys will have to tell me what you think. Our next story comes from Charlotte, who remembers that their childhood home had more to it than met the eye, and something that may have taken hold of simple household objects, or even people. I grew up in what I believe to be a haunted house. Things would move in obscure places. There would be footsteps, shadows, lights flashing, car door slamming, etc. I'll start with my earliest experience. We used to have one of those clunky digital cameras. My brother and sister used to fight a lot, and one day after one of their fights, I was messing around with the camera. One turned up with two golden strikes on it. My mom made me delete the picture. A few years later, I was getting ready for school. I was alone in our basement when someone, or something, hit the wall. 
It sounded like someone had purposefully punched it. Problem is, the wall that was hit cannot be accessed by anyone since it was one of the outer walls for the house. I froze in place, just waiting for something else to happen, but it never did. We had more activity from time to time, footsteps up and down the back steps, our dogs growling at nothing, the back gate opening on its own, our car doors opening and slamming shut in the middle of the night when my mom had locked them, everything. My siblings have even more stories than I do. The next experience that I had still sticks with me in this one. It was the day before the last day of school and I was really excited and finding it hard to sleep. I used to share a room with my older sister, whom we'll call Dee. I finally gave up on trying to sleep and simply lay in bed, looking up at the glow and the dark stars on our ceiling. My sister rolled over, and that's when I saw this pitch black cloud hovering towards me. We didn't have a curtain or blinds, so the streetlight shining into our room at all times meant it wasn't exactly dark, and I could see this thing clearly. I just stared at this cloud that had formed, wanting to wake my sister, but unable to find the courage. After about five minutes, she woke up anyway because she felt like someone was watching her, only to see me staring at her when she sat up in bed. Are you okay? She asked me. As soon as she spoke, the cloud darted away, into the closet, and into my sister's porcelain doll. The doll itself was in a seated position, wearing a little pink dress, with blonde curly hair and blue eyes. Its unique aspect was that this doll was also a music box. You had to physically wind a key for it to start, or it wouldn't work. As soon as that cloud darted into the doll, it slowly started to play its melody and gently circle on its base. My sister turned on her phone flashlight and we both got out of bed to take a closer look at the doll. I went into the closet to look while she stayed on her bed holding the light. I couldn't see its face, but according to her, the eyes were red and the face had changed into something sinister. As soon as she was telling me to get away, I heard a growl in my ear. It wasn't the usual scary growl though. It was a growl my sister did to entertain our two-year-old niece. So I thought it was her. She ran out of the room and I closely followed. My mom and my other sister, whom we'll call C, were still awake. We told them what had happened and C pulled out her iPod and went into our room. We started recording. We still have this recording, and in it, you can clearly hear a growl in a male's voice. Though there were no males home at the time, say McNair, or something similar sounding. I slept in the living room that night. Later that summer, my best friend and I did what we always did, which was to camp out in my backyard. It wasn't a big space, with only three trees, but we always pitched the tent next to the one in the far left-hand corner of our property. My best friend had fallen asleep before me, and I was trying to sleep when I clearly heard footsteps walking around our tent. It could have been leaves, 
but I know it wasn't a person or an animal because the moon was bright and I would have seen the shadows. I thought it was one of my brothers until the footsteps were on the side where the moon was shining and there was no outline of a person or animal. I wanted to unzip the tent window to see, but had the strongest feeling not to. So I lay down and pretended they weren't there. After a few years, I moved out and into an apartment with my now husband. We had a couple of things happen in our apartment, but it was nothing of real significance. We moved into a house shortly before our two-year anniversary. Shortly after that, my mom sold her house and had to live with me and my husband while waiting to find a new place. This is my last paranormal experience. I was asleep in our room with my husband next to me and having a terrible nightmare. I can't call it sleep paralysis because I was definitely asleep, but in my dream, there was nothing but pitch black around our bed. I knew that if I even put a finger or pinky toe out from beyond the edge of the bed, whatever was there would get me. I got the sense that because my husband was there, it couldn't harm me at all. It showed itself only on my side of the bed and pressed its hands against the invisible barrier between the edge and the rest of the room. It may sound cliche, but it looked similar to how the nun looked in the film The Conjuring save for its dark yellow eyes, and everything on its face was sunken in. I was trying to wake my husband up to get him to make it go away. It is the first time I have ever woken up sobbing, and I begged my husband to plug the nightlight in. It was the first time in my life that I ever slept without a nightlight. When my mom moved out, I no longer had the nightmares or strange things happening, I'm pretty sure that whatever it is, it's attached to her. So I don't know about you all, but I absolutely hate dolls. If this entity is following your mom around, I hope she hasn't gotten any porcelain dolls laying around. I don't even want to think about what further creepy experiences she could have. Our final story comes from Boudicca. They come to us with a story of a clock and a time with certain special significance. About eight years ago, my husband and I bought a wall clock with the logo of one of our favorite metal bands on the face of it. We put some batteries in and hung it up. That night, our elderly tuxedo cat Persia suddenly became ill and spent the night at the vet. The next morning, we made the difficult decision to have to put her to sleep at 9.16 a.m. She was a sweet little thing, and we were devastated. My husband and I were on different shifts so we didn't get a chance to discuss how the new clock kept stopping until the following weekend. We realized we had both been resetting it and changing the batteries. When it hit us, that it kept stopping at 9.16, the exact time Persia had passed away. Around three months later, I was on a murder tour 
of our city for tourists, and the host was a lovely psychic lady. I asked her for advice about the clock, as friends have been telling me to get rid of it. She told me, keep it, that's your little girl letting you know she's safe. Not exactly a scary story, but it gives me goosebumps and helped me work through the loss of a much-loved pet. This is a sweet one. I really like the idea that even our beloved pets might have a way of letting us know that even though they're gone, they know how much we love them. Well, that does it for this episode. If you'd like to submit your own spooky tale to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me at hauntedpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore haunted, Instagram at it's haunted what now or at hauntedpod.com. Production assistance by Rebecca Lopez. Writing assistance by Meg Williams. The official composer for the show is Neeks at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. Audio engineering provided by the best in the business, Chez at Gray Multimedia. Until next time. Did you hear that? <laughs>